Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. Member, FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan, Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Pushkin. There's this tension a lot of us struggle with as we're coming of age and even sometimes into adulthood. And that's, what do I owe myself versus what do I owe my family? I've learned it can be especially tough for children of immigrants, people who grew up having to translate for their parents, helping them figure out life in a new country, which was the case for Nellie Galan. She was born in Cuba, and her parents fled to America when she was just five years old. But when she was still a teenager, she got the job opportunity of a lifetime. Her parents begged her not to take the job, to stay close to home, to take care of them. It was a tough decision, but Nellie took the job and it set her on a career course that included building one of the biggest Spanish-language TV networks in America and eventually becoming that company's president. This is Started From The Bottom, hard-earned success stories from people like us. My conversation with Nellie starts way back when her family first came to the U.S. When we landed here, the United States, in order to allow an immigrant to come to this country, you had to be sponsored by another family. And in, in our case, the, the Catholic Church and the Presbyterian Church took on the mission, because of the Cold War, of taking in Cubans. Right. And so we got taken in by a Presbyterian family in southern New Jersey. The wife was redheaded, like I love Lucy. <laughs> and so... The trauma my parents experienced from one day to the next, they came to this country late 30s, early 40s, right? And to have two, you know, college degrees and your college degree is worth nothing. To have no money, 
to have lost everything, like literally not a dollar in their pocket. And they come here and the shame that you feel having to live in an American family's house Mm. and they have to pay for everything for you. And then you ask them to give you a running tab of what you're spending so you can pay them back. Yeah. So yes, that is the what my experience is as a child. So you didn't you you came here with, with with nothing. Nothing. And how did you feel being with this American family? Well, I felt like from the time I got here and I was five, I felt like I became a grown up. Mm. I felt like I was the parent, and my parents were the children, mm. because they didn't speak English. I picked up English in two minutes. <laughs> um, I was the one that had to communicate with the family. My parents were afraid of, if somebody knocked on the door, it was like a major thing. And I think their personality changes and I think they're depressed. And I think that you also hear them. And like when you're with them by themselves, they sound smart because these are college educated people. But then when they're around Americans, they sound really stupid. They can't speak English right. You know, your mother, when your mother says, oh, I need to change the shits. And I go, mom, sheets, sheets. She'd see it, and she sounds like an idiot. And all your friends look at her like she's an idiot, you know? So you do feel a lot of shame about your family. And I think you immediately feel like I got to like grow up quick. Yeah. Yeah. And listen, I've had the most unbelievable ride because, you know, one of the things that I talk about is life is a lot about being at the right place at the right time. And I was at the right place at the right time being Latina at the dawn of Latino television. Mm. So if, you know, I, I tell a lot of young people, if you're first to market in anything, you could be the stupidest person in the world. You're gonna hit, you're gonna hit it. Yeah, you're gonna hit Because timing is everything in life. Yeah. So I hit it, you know, and I've hit it a couple times in my life and, and that's all that people remember. But the fact of the matter is I gave up a lot for that hitting it. Mm. Because uh, some of the things that you realize later in life is that life is relational. Right. And that it isn't about transactional things it is and especially if you're ethnic yeah where your your life is all about family and your cousins and you're this and you're that it's hard to break out of that yeah and go be very goal oriented uh type a all the time without having repercussions to that well how did you break out of that how did you break i mean um a lot of immigrant communities are very close knit mm-hmm. Latino communities. If you've been fortunate enough to grow up around large Latino communities like I have here in Los Angeles, you, you realize Latino families are very tight knit. Oftentimes too, a, a lot of times, um, and especially kind of in the area you grew up, uh, there's a lot of traditional thoughts about the roles of women versus men. Oh yeah. You seem to have really broken that mold. You you broke out of just sort of this uh, tight, you sort of this family tight knit family mentality to succeed in business. How did you, so how did you do that? I think, listen, I think that, that some people are born with uh, a self-motivation. Not Mm -hmm. everybody has that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I also think self-motivation comes often from trauma, Mm -hmm. right? I think that I've had marker moments where I had to make a decision. And sometimes I made great decisions and sometimes I made bad decisions, and I am the sum of all those decisions. So Can we go back to some yeah, marker moments? so let's start with the beginning. Okay. I think my marker moment happened sophomore year of high school. My parents had sent me to all-girl Catholic school because at the time we lived in Teaneck, New Jersey, and it was kind of a treacherous time in, in Teaneck. There were issues in the, in the public schools, and so they sent me to this Catholic school, but they really couldn't afford it. I was writing. I decided I thought I really wanted to be a writer. 
and I was writing stories for English class. And, and this nun who was my favorite teacher, I walk into school one day and the nun says to me, I don't, I'm sorry, but I, I don't believe you wrote the story. I think this is an Ernest Hemingway short story and I have to suspend you for three days. And she sends me home. And I am crying because I'm such a goody two-shoes. I mean, kids of immigrants don't cheat because we get told, you better not screw this up. Again, remember, let's remember the, the mentality. They just came from a revolution. If you speak up, you go to jail, political prison, or you disappear and it's, you're called a desaparecido. Right. And nobody sees you ever again. Right. So you come to this country and the first thing your parents tell you is, don't speak up. Yeah. Be under the radar. Don't make waves. Don't make waves. Shut the hell up yeah. and just be good. Everybody in, in power, you just do whatever they tell you to do. So I come home and I tell my parents, I'm so distraught. There's nothing because I didn't write this. And my mother and father take the side of the nun. And they said, it doesn't matter. You go apologize to the nun. She's right. You are wrong. I go, I didn't do anything wrong. And they're like, well, you maybe you, it, by, by mistake... You read Ernest Hemingway, you know, like they kept finding me wrong. Right. And I was so angry at my parents. I locked myself in my room and I didn't know how to deal with my anger. Yeah. So I, I did what I, what I knew how to do, which is write. And I wrote an article about why you should never send your daughter to all-girl Catholic school. And I sent it into the only publication I read at the time, which was Seventeen Magazine. And I just mailed it. And at least it got off my chest. Yeah. And a few days later, I went back to school. And the first thing the nun says to me, she goes, I'm so sorry. In fact, you should be complimented because your story was so good that I was convinced it was an Ernest Hemingway story. But in fact, no. And I, I almost like yours better. And you got a an A plus. Wow. So the whole thing blew over. Well, how did you think Ernest Hemingway? Just because you're Cuban? Well, no, <laughs> because the story took place in a fishing village in Cuba. Oh, okay. So like Old it Man had, in the Sea. It did have a, some uh, some Ernest Hemingway elements, okay. but very few. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was about an old lady, not an old man. So like, but she thought I had just taken the idea. Got you. And tweaked it. So anyway, it passed. Three months pass. And I get a letter in the mail from Seventeen Magazine with a $100 check. And it says, we loved your article and it's coming out in the next issue. Wow. And I'm shitting a brick, pardon the French. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, what did I write? Oh my God. And I'm like, how can I buy every single issue so no one sees it? <laughs> like it was insanity what I was thinking. And every girl in America read 17. Yeah. I mean, yeah, think about right. like, today's, you know, the internet, social media, it's there was the none Instagram of Instagram of its day. I mean, I yeah, mean, or TikTok of its day. I mean, day. it yeah. was like, right. So I went to school and every girl in the school was like talking about sh, 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 sh. Oh, like, oh my God, she's going to be in big trouble. Cause I like, cause by the way, the article was very funny. It was actually very good. It was very, it was more like tongue in cheek. Like, like these are the, the horrible things about being in an all girls. It was very funny, but it was brutal. Right. I get called to the principal's office and the head nun says to me, and this nun was kind of like treacherous. Right. And she's like, we don't like your kind here. And I get expelled. What? Wait, we don't like your kind here. She says that to me. Like, almost like, I can't believe we took you in and this is how you repay us kind of thing. Wow. And I go home and I tell my parents that I've been expelled. And it's like World War III. My mother starts calling me, who, why did you, why do you, who do you think you are? Che Guevara? 
Why do you have to be revolutionary? Why do you have to create problems for us? Blah, 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 blah. This is a shame on the family. Blah. I mean, it was like horrible. And then I got really, I got really mad because I thought to myself, wait a minute. You guys, you guys told me that one of the reasons that you turned on the regime of Cuba is that there was no freedom of speech. And I said, so now you're not giving me freedom of speech and you're not backing me that, I mean, how could they even expel me for writing whatever the hell I want? And my parents are like, you are wrong and you are going to go on your hands and knees and you're going to beg because you're not bringing shame on this family. Oh and I was God. so upset and hurt at my parents more than the nun. Yeah. And I did something really insane. I went to the library, which was half a block from my house. I looked up the Board of Education. That's another thing back then. We didn't have the internet. <laughs> you guys are all spoiled. I had to look up who was the head of the Board of Education. I called the Board of Ed of the state of New Jersey. He did not answer, but an African-American man answered. And I, I say, I bless that man the rest of my life because he picked up the phone and I was hysterical. And I go, this nuts. Expel me, that's not fair. And he goes, young lady, you're right, it's not fair. He said, unfortunately, they can do that because it's a private school right. and they can fire you, basically. It's like right. being an at-will employee. Yeah. They can get rid mm. of you for any reason. However, you don't have to take it. And you do have rights and you do have a voice and I defend that voice and I'm going to call a local reporter and a local newspaper and you're going to tell your story. And I didn't even give it a second thought, which I probably should have. And I was scared, but I did it anyway. Right. And I gave my interview. And the very next it, it, day- Was it just a, like a, a, a local paper newspaper, in Jersey? Okay. A code in New Jersey. I mean, like ridiculous. But it comes out in the paper, Cuban girl- Cuban immigrant gets expelled for First Amendment. Oh, wow. And it was a scandal. Oh, wow. Full-blown scandal. Everyone in the town read the newspaper. My parents got a million calls. My parents are like, literally, thank God my parents weren't into hitting me or I would have been dead. They must have been living. They were literally like hitting the furniture, <laughs> freaking out. I mean, it was full-blown chaos. The nun from the school calls and says, come into the school immediately with your parents. My parents are screaming at me the entire way. They're my mother, why are you making me do this? I now have to speak English. It's so embarrassing. I don't speak English. And my father's like, this is a shame on the family. And we get there. And the nun is like, nice. Because we forget. Bad press is a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah. And the nun's like, I never said that. I never said that I didn't like your kind. I said, well, you, she goes, and she goes, I said that I didn't like what you did, but you know, the truth is I looked up all your records and you're the number three student in the school. And you have done all AP classes and you've gotten straight A's. In fact, you have so many credits that we can graduate you a year and a half early. And my mother and father called, oh, this is an honor. I go, yes, it's a big honor. What a and it went right over my parents' head that she was getting rid of me, but in a nice way. I get home and there is a voice message from an, the... <laughs> The editor-in-chief of Seventeen Magazine, who happens to be a former nun, Midge Richardson. And she calls me and says, please call us back. And she says, we are so proud of you. We are just beside ourselves that you, that you did that article and that you went and spoke up for yourself and that you wow. got expelled on our behalf. We have decided to make you the youngest guest editor 
in the history of the Seventeen magazine. What? Yes. What? And so I think when something like that happens to you, I, I mean, I can't just tell you that my life changed dramatically, completely, immediately. Right. In the most magical way. Nellie Galan really knows how to get people's attention. You'll hear more from her after the break. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase, NA member FDIC, 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. We're back with Nellie Galan, who's fresh out of Catholic school and now the youngest ever editor at Seventeen Magazine. They loved me at Seventeen Magazine when the editor-in-chief used to be a nun and she left the nunhood and now she's got a protege that was like rebelled against the nuns and like made them look good. How good does that get? There's also this thing of like when you're 15 and if you're able to go in the city, like you're you're in the suburbs and you go into the city. Oh my God, you're like and you're, a bomb. You're, you're an editor at a magazine. You graduated high school early and now the most 
fashionable people on the planet are telling you and they're how making to you dress over. in a way it's kind of like uh, but in another way it's like wow i got the key to, i got the key to life here this is well, it I, like i really did i mean i it's like winning the teenager like sweepstakes forget about it yeah okay here's what happens i go there i work with the model editor and it's the whitest girl from connecticut and she's casting all blonde blue remember that was the era of cheryl teagues sure and, and, and girls are coming in to, to be the models for the cover and this and that. It was all blonde, blue-eyed girls. Okay. And one day walks in Phoebe Cates. Wow, from Fast Times. Well, she wasn't high. an actress then. Okay. She was just like a, a, like a little school girl that was like half Asian and half Jewish. And, and then walks in like Bill Cosby's daughter. And in walks in these people that were different girls of color. And she was never picking them. And one day... And again, they loved me so much that I felt like I could do anything. I felt like I was the shit there. Yeah. And I said to her, you know, you really need to put some ethnic people in this magazine. And she goes, well, nobody's ever said that. Nobody's ever done that. And I said, yeah, well, I think we should do that. And I put Phoebe Cates on the cover. Wow. To this day, Phoebe Cates tells everybody. I, I she got me on the cover. Wow. Because I fought for her. And then I fought for And a that must have made her career to some degree. It made degree. her career. It must have, to, it d- to a certain degree, helped. It, it did. Yeah. My son, I always told my son that I put Phoebe Kids on the cover. He didn't believe me. And then one day we're literally walking to New York and she's married to Kevin Klein. And she goes, Nelly! In the middle of the street. And she goes, Kevin, this is the girl that made my career. And my son goes, Mom, you weren't lying. I go, what, you think I lie? You think I-? So anyway, and then I, I started putting black girls on the cover and like Latina on the cover. And like, then the lady goes, okay, we need another white girl again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's get a, <laughs> a stat, please. And, but here's what happened. The, the girls of color's issues started selling. And then I get a call from Elite Models and they said to me, we want to we wanna get all those girls and bring them to Elite. And, and, and is Elite like- It was John Casablanca's, Okay, so one of the, the top Biggest agencies. agencies. Yeah. And then they're like, we want to hire you as our consultant. Like if you see people that you think are going to be cool that come to, because they all would come into 17, not to them. Right. That you tell us about them because we'd love to like be their booking agents. So I become, a, on top of that, I become a consultant to Elite. And John Casablanca's, who is by the way, a dog to, to, to models. And John Casablanca's is like, I want to invest in your career because you're going to go places. And I said, well, you can help me pay for college. And so he's like, okay, well, if you do, if you consult for us on like these, you know, cause I think you have a real eye, we're going to pay for it. So I got into, into Barnard early admissions with a complete, between the scholarship and John Casablanca's and Elite paying for me, I didn't have to pay for shit. Jeez. And I was working at 17 and they, after the, my, my internship was over, they're like, we want, we're going to hire you. So well, in between school or whatever, you work here. Because I was a real teenager. They, re- they, they realized what people now realize, which is like, we need somebody in here who's a real teenager. So anyway, all that was going on. And then the most unbelievable thing happened. Another, no, no, yes. no, this is all unbelievable. No, it gets Another, better. Okay. It gets better. This lady who is the first Latina executive producer in news, this lady gets this job producing the teenage version of 60 Minutes. Remember Lisa Ling when she mm-hmm. started out? Yes. She was a teen reporter for this thing called, I forget what it was called, but it was a, th- it was a news show that was in schools. Yes. Many yes. moons the ago. Sound is, yes. Well, 
before that, there was this teenage version of 60, 60 Minutes, licensed 60 Minutes to PBS for a Saturday morning show. Wow. And it was going to be people that were older than teenagers, like 20-somethings, but that kind of could pass for teenagers that were telling stories that were important to young people in America. And the lady calls me at Seventeen Magazine and she goes, I love all the articles you've written. She says, I want to meet you. And so she comes to New York. She's living in Texas. She's in Austin, Texas. So I meet her and she goes, okay, I want to hire you. I want you to be one of our three correspondents of the show. She goes, but you have to move to Austin, Texas in two weeks. Wow. I tell my parents I'm now 16 and a half at this point. I'm at Barnard in my first semester and I'm working at 17 and working for Elite and all this shit. And I say to my parents, I am leaving and I'm going to Austin, Texas. Oh, usted no, you do not leave here till you are married. Latino culture. And I said, you guys don't get this because you don't understand what 60 minutes is, but that's like a big deal. Yeah. And I'm doing this. And my parents are like, oh, no, you're not. You're not going, right? I go back and tell 17. I go back and tell Elite. I even go tell the school. I go, I need to put this Barnard thing on freeze. I'll come back. Yeah. And um, everybody was like congratulating me, throwing me parties. Oh my God, you're going to be on TV. You're going to be a correspondent. 60 minutes, amazing. And two weeks later, I wake up at three in the morning. I had a Chevy Chevette, which I don't even know what that is, but it's like the smallest, shittiest car on the planet. And I pack up my car and my parents wake up. And they go, what are you doing? I go, I'm leaving. You were trying to leave in the middle of the night. Yeah, I'm leaving. And they, they first they, they like go, well, you're not going anywhere. I go, I'm sorry, but I'm going to go. And you guys, unfortunately, you don't know what's best for me because you're not, you're not American. <sighs> you don't really get it. Like you didn't get the whole thing with the school. Yeah. And I can't, you're, I can't go by your judgment. This is a tough thing. I think a lot of immigrant kids deal this with is, this. This is a story quite... that when I tell it to minority girls, they all cry hysterically. How many girls in America have given up a Harvard scholarship to stay home with their parents? A lot. How many girls get expelled from school and it breaks them for the rest of their life? How many girls get an opportunity and the parents guilt trip them or they have to support their parents and they stay? And I knew that I had to choose myself first because my parents had let me down. And my mother called me every name in the book. And now that she's 90 years old and she has dementia, once again, she has thrown it in my face. She goes, you left me when you were 16 and I will go to my grave and never forgive you. Because I was her therapist. I was her, I was her everything. Do you, how do you process that when she says something like that? I will tell you because I left I left, I got in the car and drove cross country by myself at 16 and a half to Texas. I stopped the car a block from the house and I cried for two hours because I felt so guilty that I was leaving my children. Hmm. But I knew that I had- Your children being- My parents. Oh boy. But I knew I had to go because I knew that that was gonna change my life. And uh, when I got to Texas, that lady took me under her wing and she goes, And, you know, she figured out when I got there that I was really underage. She didn't really know that. And then she said, if I had known you were leaving college, I would have never even asked you to come because I believe so much in college. And she said, so I'm not going to let you 
be, get behind. And she's the one that brought me. And, and so imagine that I am less than 18. I am in a bus with a crew. Every couple of weeks I switch crews and I'm doing stories with Geraldo Rivera. With, I mean, I'm doing like the same kind of story 60 Minutes is doing, but told from the point of view of a young person. Right. And I learned everything you could possibly learn from like the most brilliant people that were thinkers and, and like people analyzing the greatest problems in America. Back then we, we were having, you know, all the farm worker problems yeah. and, you know, problems with immigration and the same shit that's going on now, but you know, the gangs and the racism and the this and the that. And, and I was going so deep with all these people that were deep. Yeah. And by the time I was 19, I was recruited at CBS in Boston to be in the network correspondent training program. Wow. And I was what they call a stringer. So I was the one doing all the stories for like Diane Sawyer yeah, at the time. You'd go out in the I would field. do seven stories a day, send them in, and Diane Sawyer would be the anchor. Right. And and I was just and a she'd, schlepper. She'd throw to you. She'd That's right. Throw to your stories. And sometimes I wasn't up. even on camera. Right. It was like Sometimes I just shot footage that they put in and she'd do wow. a voiceover. So I, like I'm running around the country. I now look at these people sometimes and I go into, I, I have PTSD too, because I know what it's like to get on the plane in the morning and you put your makeup on and you do a story and then you get on another, it's, it News is, is a grind. It's a grind. It is a, it's for young people. And I look at these older <laughs> correspondents, like, I don't know how the hell they do it. And one day they're in London and the next day they're in, so um, I get asked to do this John F. Kennedy special. To, in other words, to go do all the interviews for this John F. Kennedy special. So I'm off the grind of the daily thing mm -hmm. for a minute. And I'm working on this big two-hour special for Diane Sawyer. Mm. And they send me to Hollywood. And I have to do like 20 interviews of 20 people, right? And one of the people I have to interview is Norman Lear. Oh, wow. And Norman Lear had been very good friends with John F. Kennedy. Who knew? I did not know that. So I, I have to interview. I should just say for the people that might not know Norman Lear, one of the absolute geniuses of scripted television, all in the family. He's an incredible talent. Super lovely guy. And he basically said to me, what are, what are you? Are you Jewish? What are you? And I go, because I kind of, you know, I grew up in Tina, New York, yeah, New York yeah. accent, right? <laughs> and a little Joan Rivers thrown in, right? I said, no, I'm Latina, you know, I'm Cuban. And he goes, my partner and I just bought the first license for the first Spanish TV station. I go, oh, that's nice. I'm like, not, you know. And he says, I think you should meet with him because he would like you and, you know, you might want to come and work for us. And I'm like, all right, whatever. I go back to Boston, I'm still doing my thing. And like a couple of weeks later, I get a call from this guy, Jerry Parenchio, billionaire, uh, passed away. Just so everybody knows, he used to be an agent many, many, many moons ago. Then he went and ran Norman Lear's company. And he eventually, many, many, many years later, bought Univision. And he, he is one of the, in Hollywood, the behind the scenes, like, you know, big deals. Yeah. And, and honestly, the person I've learned the most from in my whole life. Tough, 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 tough. But you'll see how big he becomes in my life. I go to meet with him. He calls me and he's like, Norman thinks I should meet with you. I, I fly to New York to meet with him. By this point, I'm 21. And I've been working at CBS for two years. Okay. And he says to me, uh, so we're going we're gonna to launch the Spanish TV network station in New York. He goes, you should come and work for us. And I go, well, what am I going to do? And he goes, well, you're just going to learn how to do everything. You're going to like 
start it up. And I go, no offense, sir, but like Spanish TV is not for somebody like me. That's like for my parents. It's kind of like, ugh, everything about it is not for me. I mean, yeah. I don't think you understand. I work at CBS yeah. and I'm going to be a network correspondent. And he's like, that sounds like a factory worker to me. And I go, what? And he goes, how many segments do you do a day? I go, seven. How many times a week do you fly? Every day. And he goes, okay, I'm going to tell you something a little harsh. And I, and I, you know, I think to myself, would, would somebody like him have the balls to tell me something like that today when everything's so politically correct? Yeah. He goes, you're Latina, right? You're bilingual, right? He goes, you know your culture, right? He's like, do you not know that the Latino market is going to be a multi-billion dollar market? That your people are growing at these rates? You're going to be the biggest minority by the year such and such? And he's like, let, let me get this right. Norman's a multimillionaire. I'm a billionaire. You're going to go work for a network where you're a factory worker? Or you're going to be employee one? No offense, but even if you're an idiot, you're going to be rich. And I thought to myself... Oh my God, he's right. And, I, and I, I, I ask you the question. And I ask you the question and I ask everyone listening the question. In today's world, if you had the choice of your ego and being on TV mm. or being employee one of a startup that you think is pretty boring and stupid and kind of mm -hmm. tacky, what would you choose? And the only reason I made the greatest and best decision of my life is because deep in my soul, even though I, I was really, I felt like I was, I felt like I was chosen mm -hmm. because I had had this beautiful trajectory. Brought into the prestige of CBS to be a- Correct. Yeah. Even though I felt that I was chosen and it's almost like you feel anointed in that way. Mm -hmm. I felt like, let's be real. Let's be grounded. And that's where my parents in my heart and in my soul ground me. It's like, no, these guys are a better choice. Norman Lear and Jerry Parencio are a better way to go. Yeah, and you must have believed in them too, because I, I did. Mean, but I, but I felt like he was right. I, yeah. You know what? You know what it is. And I think this is important to hear because nobody says this to young people, especially a lot. No job is more important than the people that you work for. You can choose a career, or you can choose people. Interesting. You choose people because people are going to take you to the promised land, not a job. Mm. So I chose well. And I went and became employee number one of what is today Telemundo. When we come back, you'll hear more about Nelly's rise at Channel 47, a small Spanish language station that went on to become Telemundo. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients. Each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. 
Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. JPMorgan Chase Bank, NA member, FDIC, copyright 2024. JPMorgan Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Before it became the giant that it is now, Telemundo was just Channel 47, a local New Jersey TV station that promised to deliver Latino content. And Ellie Galan was employee one. I had this little rinky-dinky station. It was an independent station. <laughs> Literally, I had no business, no money, no nothing, no content, no yeah. nothing. Yeah. Okay, I had nothing. Yeah. I had to get on a plane and go to Latin America and going to meet all of these Latin American networks and saying, can I buy a show from you for $50 an episode? I don't know, whatever. I got to fill in that. Wait, 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 wait. You said, so hold on. <laughs> this is interesting. How did you know what your charge was? How did you, like... You have to I have didn't. some savvy, you have to know no. the business to some degree to know that let me go get some programs on the cheap that we could just fill time with. Or did you, I mean. No, I figured it out. I'm like, okay, what does another network look like? Okay, they have programming. Okay, I don't have money to produce programming. What do I do? Okay, where can I find Spanish language programming? I got to go to Spanish language license. countries. Right. Okay, how do I do that? I mean, I figured it yeah. out. Wow. And. Every day I made a hundred mistakes on OPM, which is the best thing to do in life. You know, work for somebody oh, else. People's money. <laughs> That's right, yeah. man. I literally would open the mail at night. I would open the mail and it would say, somebody would send me a note and go, we have infomercials. We want to air from midnight to three in the morning. We'll pay you a million dollars a year. And I'd, I'd call up an engineer that we, you know, I find out, what does it cost me to stay open from midnight to three in the morning? We were only on eight hours a day in the beginning. He's like, oh, it'll cost you about $50,000 a year. I go, that sounds perfect to me. We're doing that. And I would make a million dollars. I answered the mail. I mean, you also forget that when you have something, like build it and they will come. Yeah. Okay, let me tell you what else came. I'm sitting there literally, you know, like a startup with like four employees. And I get a call from this guy, Puerto Rican guy who's managing Menudo. Remember Menudo, <laughs> yeah, the boy band? Ricky Martin's old group. And he goes... Listen, I, I need to see you. I need, I, I, we just got booked to do Radio City Music Hall. I need airtime. I need to promote this. I go, okay, I, all I have is airtime. Yeah. I go, okay, can we make a little commercial? Whatever, let's, whatever, some crappy little commercial. He goes, I have no money for you until the, the show's on and I sell the tickets, I have no money. I go, okay, I'll take a shot at you. I go, I'll give you a commercial every 15 minutes, but you're going to give me half your box, 50-50 box office. 
Really? Yeah. You said that. I did, 50-50. Wow. That was my start. I mean, I, I could negotiate, right? <laughs> That's where she starts it. I love it. And he goes- I'm starting negotiations. Wait a minute. He goes, okay. By the way, it doesn't work anymore. Okay. He goes, okay. And I go, okay. So we sold out five nights. Five nights, because I put so many commercials on. They, 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 and by the way, we started ma- like we started making a Latino revolution because every artist would call me and go, and go, can you give me as many commercials as many? I go, yeah, all I got is commercial time. And I started doing 50-50 deals. Now, by the way, that didn't last very long because then people were like, come on. Yeah. you know. And also I started getting other commercials. I didn't have as much commercial. Time. So, I mean, it was like a year where I hit the job. It was the Wild West for a bit. The Wild there. West. Yeah, yeah. So, but all I'm saying is like, I didn't even think I could figure this out. And in like a year, I made $8 million profit. I'm So I went to work for them at almost 22 to 25. I ran the station. We were making eight to $10 million a year. So one day I walk into work and his lawyer comes in and says, I have great news for you. We sold the company. I go, what? We sold the company to Saul Steinberg, who is an insurance company in New York. And he speaks Spanish and he wants to build a network. I go to see Jerry and I do the one thing you're never supposed to do in business. I start to cry. And I go, Jerry, this is my baby. This is your, your, I'm your Burger King manager. This doesn't mean anything to you. How could you sell this? this is my baby. And he goes, young lady, stop the tears. He goes, young lady, these are my chips. If you think you have what it takes, and I think you have what it takes, he goes, stop crying and go get your own chips. Wow. He goes, when I was your age, I started a business. I made no money for 10 years, and then I became a millionaire. Go do it. I'm giving you $300,000 in a Mercedes Benz. <laughs> and I was like, I went home and I cried, and I like really, I was so, I thought he was the devil. And he and gave it, you a Benz. By the way, I cashed in because I didn't even know how to drive. And so I had, but I New did, Yorker. I had like $375,000 at that point. And I lived in the East Village in a fourth floor walk up. And I decided to start a business. And I started a business. And so when he sold the company, I went and saw everyone in Hollywood with this idea that I had for a business. And every single person, and I could tell you very famous, famous, famous execs turned me down. So what I wanted to do is I realized there was a hole in the market that I was going to visit all these networks in Latin America and buying shows from them and they had no American shows, none. And I was like, why isn't there HBO in Latin America? Why are these channels not going abroad? I could sell this in a minute. So I was pitching people about my business, but for four years, nothing happened. And I was really feeling very distraught. And I was embarrassed to go back to Jerry with my tail between my legs because he would have given me a job or, you know. And I thought, I have to prove myself. And in the fourth year, the whole thing changed. The president of HBO at the time says to me, Nellie, remember you came to me like three years ago? And I said, no, we're ready to do that. We've sent three MBAs to Latin America and they can't figure it out. I go, well, do they speak Spanish? And he goes, no. I go, well, duh. So he goes, but I, we can only do it with you as a consultant. See, I wanted to like own a piece of the channel, yeah, right? Yeah. Because I was thinking like Jerry Parenchio. Yeah. 
So I said, okay, I'll do it. Cause I figured I gotta do one just to show I can do it. Yeah. And I had the channel up and running in Venezuela in three months. And then I get a call, another great call from this African-American guy. His name is Bernard Stewart. He was the one in charge of globalizing ESPN. And he calls me and he goes, Nellie, come and see me. I heard from Michael Fuchs at HBO that you helped launch HBO. And I go over there to see him and he says, listen, we're going to do, we're going to launch three channels in Latin America. We're going to do one in Portuguese, two in Spanish, one in Argentina, one in Mexico. You have to hire like 40 on-camera people. It's, but we want to outsource it to you because if it doesn't work out, then we don't have all the bodies. You know how you have, can't hire people. Yeah. And then he goes, and then if it works, you sell it back to us in five years. And then in a weird way, I was the best person to do this channel because there were all these different uh, languages for different things in sports that Argentinians use in Mexico. And I had to just pick one yeah. and make a new language that would be the same in the entire continent. Mm. And they could yell at me because I'm another Latina. I go, listen, I picked the word that I thought was the best for you. <laughs> and that's what we're going with. And now it's become the language wow. of sports in Latin America. So anyway, I launched those channels and I went from nothing and nothing was working to exactly what Jerry Parencio said, if you hang in there. Mm -hmm. But I went from zero to I launched 10 channels in four years. That's incredible. And then Rupert Murdoch and Sony decided, okay, so the original guy that bought my, t my station, Channel 47, bought 15 stations around the country for a fortune. It was when stations were 100 million, 200 million each, overspent, tried to start a Latino network, wasn't working, there wasn't enough money to justify that the cost of those channels. He died of a brain aneurysm. His family got the company. It went into bankruptcy court and it was between Sony and Fox to buy it. And Sony won the, the, the blind auction in bankruptcy court. And when Sony bought it, uh, they came after me because I was the only Latina that had experience running channels and really being fiscally responsible. Right. And I get the job uh, to basically be the president of Telemundo. They buy my little business. And uh, by the way, I, I forgot to say that when I was doing the channel business, all of the networks that I ended up launching, everyone gave me production deals because they're like- With your company. With yeah. my company because Again, not because I came into it as a creative, mm -hmm. because I came into it as a fiscally responsible Latina from the business side. And all the Latinos in Hollywood kind of trashed me. Who is she? We've been at this for years. Why did you give the deals to her? And and I was smart because I, th I thought, don't worry, you guys, I'm going to give you guys all deals, yeah. right? Yeah. But they didn't realize, and this is another thing that I don't think people say to young people, is that everybody wants to have an ego and be creative, yeah. including me, everybody. But in fact, if you learn the fiscal stuff first, if you want to be the queen of content, first be the queen of distribution and understand distribution and the finances of distribution. And you're on your way. Wow. Wow. All your success. <laughs> I almost have success fatigue with you. I'm, I mean, I, I like, no, no, no. Let me just yes. tell you. So let me not, let me be not yeah. humble, but honest. Yeah. You could have failure fatigue. If I talk to you about my failures, uh. I have way more failures than successes, but that's the other thing people should know. Yeah. You only need a couple of successes and that's all people care about and remember. Yeah. Uh, 
you remember the failures, but other people don't. Yeah. So it's taken hundreds of thousands of failures to have two or three successes. Yeah. Nelly. I hope you will come back. I feel like there's so much more to talk to you about. <laughs> we didn't even get to half really, my career, look, but that's okay. There's, more, there's a whole other half of your career. I want to talk to you just more specifically about the dawn of uh, Spanish language television here in the States. I want to talk to you about your successes in reality TV and really also what your next well, phase and also, is. Well, I think, I think what's, what, what's a good thing to leave with for, for your listeners is how do you find your North Star? And I would say... The one thing that that I think people are not looking at carefully is don't pick the sexiest thing. Mm. Don't pick the thing that everyone else is doing. Try to really do your homework. Like I'm a very mathematical person. Like I tell I tell everybody, Google, what's an emerging business? What's an emerging city? What's an emerging market? And here's the beauty of it. You don't have to have millions and millions and millions of customers. You can survive on very few customers in a niche business. Yeah. Niches, by the way, are better than mass things. M niches are things that you can fully own. Mm. And also niches tend to come from your pain. You know, I did a niche in, 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 in Latino TV and did very well telling stories that I lived through of immigration, of, of pain. Yeah. Okay, so you, you make money on your pain. You come up with something from your pain. Not from... What everybody else is out here doing, don't have FOMO. Like where you are right now, bored in your house, is where you need to be to invent the greatest thing of your life. Not at the party with everybody else. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. We're having you back. You're coming back. <laughs> Nelly, I thank you so much. This has been so lovely. Oh my gosh. Can't thank you enough. Yo, Nelly Galan is definitely coming back on the show. We're only partway through her career, and there's still a whole other reality TV impresario chapter we didn't get to that I'm dying to talk to her about. But before we let Nelly completely go, I want to play you a part of her conversation that didn't make the episode. It's a really important point I think she makes about jealousy. The other technique that I use to decide what do I want to do is what am I jealous of? And I think that's a really great- Oh my goodness, okay? yes. Who were you jealous of in that moment? Susie Orman. Sue. What Susie Orman did for white women, it's like she put the light bulb on, like, where's your financial empowerment? You guys are all like really sitting around waiting for some guy to save you. Now, when Nellie Galan tells you she's jealous of someone, you gotta figure out how to talk to that person. So next week, I bring you personal finance guru, best-selling author, multiple-time guest on The Oprah Show, Susie Orman. Started from the Bottom is produced by David Ja, edited by Keisha Williams, engineered by Ben Tolliday, booked by Laura Morgan, with production help from Leah Rose. The show is executive produced by Jacob Goldstein, who's not all up in the videos for Pushkin Industries. Our theme music's by Ben Tolliday and David Ja, featuring Anthony Ags and Savannah Joe Lack. Listen to Started from the Bottom wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want ad-free episodes available one week early, sign up for Pushkin Plus. Check out pushkin.fm or the Apple Show page for more information. If you like our show, please remember to share, rate, and review us on your podcast app. I'm Justin Richmond. <laughs>